passage of scripture this morning for Pastor Charlie's message is Ephesians six ten through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of prayer. I thank you for the price that was prayed that we might, the price that was paid that we might be able to pray. I thank you for your persistent grace in calling us to call upon your name. I thank you for calling us in all kinds of different circumstances to call on your name. I thank you, Father, for your calling upon us. I thank you for your empowering of us so that we can walk according to your will and according to your ways. And I pray that you would use this sermon as one small means of causing your people to rise up and pray for the greatest cause in all the earth, and that is the spread of the name of Jesus Christ around the world. Oh, Father, please be with me now. Please empower me now, and please be with us all. Make us good hearers, including myself, and not just those who will hear only, but make us those who will also do the word of God, I pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, from its very inception, the church has been called by Jesus Christ to go on the basis of His authority, not our authority or any other earthly authority, but on the basis of His authority to all the nations and make disciples of some persons from every tribe and tongue and nation. And from its very inception, from the very foundation of the church, we have been called to carry out that commandment in large part by means of prayer. It has always been this way, and it will always be this way. Just before Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he met with his disciples, and you can read about this in Acts chapter 1, and he instructed them to stay in Jerusalem and to wait upon the promise of the Father. And he gave them these words. He said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Acts 1.8 And that's exactly what happened. 
just after Jesus was lifted up from their sight and went to be at the right hand of the throne of God, the disciples went to a place called the Upper Room, where the Bible says that they devoted themselves to prayer. They called out upon the name of God and they waited upon the promise of the Father even though they really did not know what that meant. And when the time was right, according to the purposes of God, He poured His Holy Spirit out upon His people and they received power to go out through all Jerusalem and proclaim the gospel. In Acts chapter 2, the the miracle of tongues does not have to do with speaking. It has to do with hearing. The miracle of tongues was given so that people from every tribe and nation who were in Jerusalem at that time could hear the gospel. They prayed, God granted power, and they went out and proclaimed the gospel. And this was not a one-time experience. It was powerful, but it was not a unique event. And I know that because just two chapters later, in Acts chapter 4, the believers gathered again in Jerusalem. And they began praying and calling out upon the name of the Lord. And they said, O Sovereign Lord, please grant us your power. Grant us boldness with which to proclaim the gospel. And God did that. It says in the Bible that the place where they were meeting even shook that the power of God come upon them in such strength. And after that, they went out and they proclaimed the gospel again with much success. As the gospel went from Jerusalem to the next vicinity of Judea, and then out to Samaria, and then far into the the area of Europe, which was what we would call it today, and over toward Babylon and down into Egypt, as the gospel began to spread, the same pattern was always there. The people of God would cry out to God, God would release His power upon them, and then they would go out and proclaim the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. This is why Paul prayed, or asked for prayer in Ephesians six nineteen through 20 that the people of Ephesus would pray for him as he went out into the world and spread the gospel. He was a seasoned missionary. He had been in the church almost from the very beginning. And he knew this fact, that the gospel spreads by the power of God and no other way. It is not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. The gospel does not spread by human planning or by fundraising or by leadership developments. Those things have their place, but that is not how the gospel spreads. It spreads by the power of God as the people of God call upon the name of God and their Father, when He's ready, is pleased to pour His power out upon them. And this was true not only in biblical times, but it's been true all the way up to our very time. All of the great revivals in human history, in Christian history, all of the great missionary movements throughout Christian history have been marked by prayer. Check me on this. Read about these things. When you read the history of great revivals or missionary movements, you will see that prayer is always one of the primary things that marks that movement. The movements outward are always preceded by great movements upward. It's always this way. And it is this way today. The most effective and God-honoring missions agencies in the world today are the most prayerful missions agencies in the world today. The most missions-minded churches in the world today are the most 
prayerful churches in the world today. Again, it is not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And the path to that power is to get on our knees and ask God to pour it out upon us. It's not that prayer is magic, right? It's not that saying certain words to God in a certain way will cause Him to act on our behalf. Prayer is not about just a process that we come up with. It's not like putting something in a vending machine. If you put just the right stuff in, you can get the right stuff out. Prayer is about communing with our Father. And our Father seems pleased to pour His Spirit out upon those who call upon His name, who seek His face with all of their hearts. There is a deep and intimate connection between God's pleasure to bless His people and God's people's pleasure to call out upon Him. And so the path to power for missions is prayer. Now with that in mind, I want to spend some time today thinking about the specific things that Paul said in his prayer request here in verses 19 through 20. And then I want to draw out two implications of all of this for our life together as a church. One in a more general way and then one in a more specific way which has something to do, has to do with something that's coming up for us very soon here. So let me begin by reading verses 19 and 20 one more time. Paul says, and pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So the first thing I want to draw out of these verses here is for us to see that Paul is calling on a people to pray for him who for the most part were called to stay in their home churches and be senders of missionaries. So Paul is one that went out into the world, went out to proclaim the gospel to all nations, but he was sent by churches who who for the most part were called to stay back and be good senders. And Paul writes back to them, and he does not ask them for money. He does not ask them for resources. He does not ask them for help to send people. He asks them for prayer. In other places, he does mention the need for money and resources and people, but in all places, in every one of his letters almost, he calls for prayer. He wants the people of God to pray because he knew that they were one body. One of them had been sent out and yet all of them were one in Christ. And he knew that God would be pleased to pour his power out upon the one in response to the prayers of the many. He had a very profound vision of their unity in Christ, and so he called on those who sent him to pray and pray and pray. It's not just for missionaries to pray. Every single one of us is called to pray for those who have gone. It is so important for us to learn this lesson, beloved. When we're a young church, our missionaries need our dollars, and how I pray in Jesus' name that he will release us from consumerism Teach us to take up our cross and die to ourselves, die to our silly little fading fleshly pleasures so that we can direct as much of our money as possible to the greatest movement in all the world. And that is the movement of the name of Jesus Christ into all the world. They need our resources. But ten times more, maybe a thousand times more than that, our missionaries need our prayers. 
They need us to learn what it means to suit up in the armor of God along with them and fight with them against the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. One of our missionaries right now is going through some extremely difficult things. And she will need our support in many ways, but right now she needs our prayers. And at all times, she needs our prayers. Oh, may we learn this lesson that those who send must be a praying people. May we be caught often on our knees praying for those whom we have sent. Ian Bounds was a man who was just filled with the spirit of prayer in his life. He wrote many books on prayer. And I read a little chapter he wrote this week called Prayer and Missions. And I have a quote up here for you that I want to read to you because it just, just fits so well with what I'm saying now. It is all right to urge men to give of their means to the missionary cause. But it is much more important to urge them to give their prayers to the movement. Foreign missions need today more the power of prayer than the power of money. And by the way, he wrote this over a hundred years ago. So it's always been this way. It will always be this way. Prayer can make even poverty in the missionary cause move on amidst difficulties and hindrances. Much money without prayer is helpless and powerless in the face of the utter darkness and sin and wretchedness on the foreign field. Beloved, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're not just trying to grow an organization called the Church of Jesus Christ. It's not what we're up to. We are fighting against the powers of darkness which are great, and we are trying to proclaim a message that will cause dead people to live again. So we are attempting to raise the dead. You can't do that by giving money. You cannot buy that. You must plead with God for that because only the Holy Spirit can do that. And so Paul, a seasoned missionary for whom these things were not theoretical, he writes to Ephesus and he says, please pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. I need your prayers because I need the power of God. And that's the only way to access His power. So Paul prayed for a couple specific things. First of all, he asked that words be given to him that he might boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And I find this so interesting because this is the great apostle Paul that we're talking about here. This is the man who was one of the greatest theologians in the history of the church by the grace of God. The Lord had revealed many, many glorious things to him. And he wrote about it and taught about it and spoke about it. He was a man of many words. Words were not hard for Paul to come by. Now he did say in a couple of places that he didn't come to certain cities with eloquent speech. He did say that. But I think what he means by that is that he didn't come speaking in the language of philosophers and highfalutin intellectuals. But he spoke the everyday common street language that the people could understand. He wasn't going from city to city trying to impress people with his knowledge. He was trying to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. And so he wanted them to understand what he said. That's what he means when he said, I didn't come with eloquent speech. He didn't mean that words were hard for him to come by. He was a man of many words. And so why is he praying for words here? 
Well, as I contemplated this the other night, I remember, actually it was early in the morning, it was dark, which is what made me think it was night, but I was driving around contemplating this, and it occurred to me that Paul prayed for words because even though he was a man of words, he wanted to depend on the Holy Spirit and not upon himself. He didn't want to assume that what God had spoken through him yesterday was the same thing God would want to speak through him today. He did not want to assume that the knowledge he had over here was sufficient for what God had for him in the future. And so he prayed for words so that he would have a sense of dependence on God, trusting that in the right time and in the right way, the Father would grant the right words for him to speak. Every week as I prepare myself to bring these sermons to you, believe me, I know how to work the craft of writing a sermon. I've learned that really well. But every week I try to get on my knees and forget that I know the craft. Because I want to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. The people of God don't need an eloquent, crafted sermon from men of God. Right? You need to hear from the Holy Spirit. You are like children with your mouths wide open saying, Father, feed me, feed me, feed me. And so I, as a a preacher, a man of the Word, I have to go to God and pray for words. Oh God, what your people need is just beyond me. I'm unable to give them what they need, but you are able. So give me words, Father, give me words. And I think this is the heart of what Paul was praying for. And then secondly, he asked for boldness. He said, please pray that I would have boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. I want to say just a word about that phrase, the mystery of the gospel, because there are some in the body of Christ today that are teaching that that phrase means that the gospel really can't be understood. They're saying that the gospel is essentially mysterious and we can't say too much about it. We can't define it too well because it really is just a mystery and so we just kind of have to float around and hope that God will bring us all home in the end. Well, Paul doesn't mean that by the word mystery. He told us exactly what he means by this phrase, the mystery of the gospel, in Ephesians 3, 6. So if you'll flip back there and look with me, here's what Paul wrote. Paul said, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So in other words, the mystery of the gospel is the unfolding of God's working with the Jews and with all other nations. If you really just stop and and step back a little bit and think about the movement of history and the way God worked with human beings through history, it really is quite a mystery because for thousands of years, God worked with the Jews and He did give prophecies about Jesus But he never gave a a sort of a seven-point plan to humanity saying, here's what I'm up to, and here's the order I'm doing it in, and here we're at number two now, and we're moving to number three in about a hundred years. He never did anything like that. He just did what he had purposed in his heart to do, and it was a mystery. He was working with the Jews as a special people. He was and always will be the God of all the nations. There is only one God but he took the Jews to him as a special people, as a prized possession. And why is that? Mainly to prepare them to receive Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So that Jesus could spill his blood not only for the Jews, but for all the worlds. 
That we both, Jews and Gentiles, might be reconciled to God in one body through the cross. And having done that, He would take a group of Jews and send them into the world to proclaim the good news to the Gentiles so that we would all believe. And now Gentiles can come in and partake of the promises that God made to the Jews as though we are Jews. We now have access to all the promises of God made to Abraham and his descendants because of our relationship to Jesus Christ. God has grafted us in to the branch of the Jews, as it were. This is the mystery of the gospel. Of course, there are aspects of the gospel that we will not understand. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 that we know in part now, then we will know in full. So yes, there are things about God. He's great that we do not understand. But the gospel in itself is not a mystery. It is simply the unfolding of the redemptive plan of God through Jesus Christ. And so, Paul prays for boldness to proclaim this mystery. He says in chapter 3, a little, a couple verses down there, that God had sent him to proclaim, to unfold, to, un, to reveal the glory of what God had done to all of the Gentiles. And so, as he went out into the world, he prayed for boldness as well as for words. Words are crucially important things. We need words to explain ideas. We need words to explain God's salvation. But in and of themselves, they're not enough. We also need boldness to say what God has told us to say in just the way that God has told us to say it. And I think that's probably a good definition of boldness. Boldness is simply saying what God has given you to say in the way that God has given you to say it. Some of us probably think that boldness is kind of an outward bravery or an outward bravado or something like that. But biblically, I don't think that's what's meant by the word boldness. I think boldness is simply the willingness to speak the words God has given you in the manner that He has given you. And sometimes that manner is through weakness. Sometimes your voice is trembling. Sometimes you're not sure of yourself. Sometimes you're, you're just weak. But God loves to use weakness to display His strength. And so the issue is not trying to work up a sort of outward boldness. It's simply saying what God has given you to say. This is what Paul is praying for. Please, please pray for me that God would give me words. And then pray for me that I would be willing to push through my flesh, push through the fear of man, and say what God has given me to say in the way that He has given me to say it, despite the consequences. Despite the consequences. Pray that God would give me boldness even if I have to suffer for it, which Paul often did. You notice the next phrase there is that he is an ambassador in chains. He's an ambassador in chains. This means, by the way, Paul is writing the letter to the Ephesians from prison. He had gone into the world to proclaim the gospel and to do it boldly. And as he did that, God saw it fit to let him suffer. He was beat up. He was flogged, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was thrown in prison. And here, writing the letter to the Ephesians, he's in prison, he has a chain probably on his leg. He's an ambassador in chains, he was not unfamiliar with suffering. And for a guy who lives a life like that, he needs boldness, so that no matter what suffering comes to him, he'll keep pushing through and keep obeying his Father. Just think about this with me for a moment. Not many of us have suffered for the Gospel, not really. And it might not be that hard of a thing to suffer once or twice in some significant way. 
But what if your life, like Paul's life, was really nothing but a series of suffering after suffering after suffering after suffering for the gospel? You just get through one situation and boom, here comes the next, and here comes the next, and here comes the next. Just like our missionary in India right now. The last two or three years for her have been comprised of one suffering after another, after another, after another, after another. If that was you, you might also say, pray for me that I might have the boldness not to quit, not to give up, not to lose hope. And so I think one thing Paul means when he asks the Ephesians to pray for him is pray for me that I would endure Pray for me that I would keep looking to Jesus and trusting in Him and putting my hope and my treasure in Him so that I would suffer anything on the earth that I might gain the prize of being with Christ. Pray for me that I might have the boldness to endure. So he prays for words. He prays for boldness. In a sense, he prays for endurance. And there's one more thing that I want to draw out of these verses, and that's at the very end of verse 20, where it says, oughts. He says, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The oughts of God was upon the life of Paul. And the reason that he used a word like that was not because he was a a duty-bound legalist, Or like the Mormons, I don't know how much you all know about how the Mormon church functions, but they make a lot of false promises to their people. And then they tell young 18-year-olds that in order to get those promises, you must go out into the field for two years and serve. It's duty. It's not coming from the inner parts of their heart. That's not the kind of ought Paul has in mind here. This is not legalism. This is the call of God upon the life of a man so that he must obey. Turn with me to Acts 13, if you will. In Acts 13, 1-3, we hear the story of how Paul came to be a missionary. And this becomes very important for understanding why he would use a word like ought. Acts 13, 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now here's the point. Paul did not appoint himself to be a missionary. In fact, the church did not appoint Paul to be a missionary. The church was gathered in prayer. They were gathered in worship. They were fasting together. And the Holy Spirit Himself said, I want you to send Paul and Barnabas to the nations for the glory of My name. And now the ought of God was upon Paul because his father had called him to do something. For Paul not to go and declare the gospel would have been rebellion against God. It would have been disobedience toward His Father. It would have been a rejection of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, by grace and with joy, the ought of God was upon Paul. And I just want to make sure that we're reading this well. That we don't come across a word like ought in Ephesians and think that Paul is saying, please pray for me because I have a religious duty to perform and so do you. Our Father doesn't work that way. Rather, what Paul is saying is, the calling of God is upon my life. 
And please hear me. He's saying, one of the means by which I will fulfill this ought upon my life is your prayers. I need your prayers to fulfill the calling upon my life. And all of our missionaries do. Our missionary in India has a calling on her life. She needs our prayers to fulfill that calling. Paul had a profound sense of this. So in a way, you could hear him saying, please come and be a part of the ought that is upon my life, the calling that is upon my life for the glory of Jesus Christ. So to summarize what I've said, Paul was very well aware of the profound relationship between the prayers of God's people and the power for missions. This was not theoretical to him. He did not learn this in a class at seminary. He saw this in real life. As the people of God called out, the power of God came down, the people of God went out, and others were saved. And so he asked for prayer. Please pray that I would have words. Please pray that I would have boldness. Pray that I would endure and cooperate with me in fulfilling the ought of God upon my life. Now, with that, I want to draw out two implications of all of this for our life together as a church. One of them is more general and ongoing. The other is more specific and has to do with something that's coming up very soon for us. This church has always had a heart for missions, and I am so grateful to God for that. When we were still just a Bible study at Brett Springfield's house in Rogers, we were already supporting a missionary in Africa. And today, even though we're a small congregation, we're supporting three missionaries two in Africa and one in India. And our hope, our dream, our vision of the future is that we would continually raise up and send out and raise up and send out. I would love to see the day when we have one or even 200 missionaries serving all over the world for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. Not for the sake of having a big ministry that is well known by people. That means nothing to me. I just want the name of Jesus Christ to be exalted in the world. And so I want to see us be a church that is given to missions. When Kim and I were considering the call to come out here and pastor this church and plant this church through Bethlehem Baptist Church, one thing we had to really think about and pray about is why you would plant a church in a place where there are already so many churches where there are already so many Christians, and there is already a gospel witness. Now I know that not every church is perfect, and there's lots of issues in the churches out here. This church is imperfect and filled with issues. So what? The gospel is being proclaimed in this area, and we had to ask ourselves the question, why would we plant another church there? Why not go somewhere like Utah where there's hardly any gospel witness, or the northeast, or, or the, the, the northwest? Why not go where there aren't many Christians? Why not? Well, we prayed about that, brought that before the Father, and the Father made it very clear to me that the reason is He had sent us here to raise people up by teaching the Word of God with as much accuracy and passion as we could to raise them up and send them out. Raise them up, send them out. Raise them up, send them out. Obviously, most of us will stay here in the Elk River area, but my, my point is that we would cooperate together to raise up and send out and raise up and send out. Why else would you plant another church in a place like this? And so from the very beginning, the sense of the call to missions was strongly upon this church. And here's how that connects with the message for today. In order for us to be a people given to missions... 
we must be a people given to prayer. There is no other way. The only way that our Father grants power for missions is as His people call out upon His name and ask for it. Read the Bible. Check me on this. You will see it everywhere. And so to be a people really given to missions, we must be a people really given to prayer. So glory of Christ, I want to urge you to pray and pray and pray and pray for the missionaries we have and for the missionaries we will have in the future. When you're spending your personal time with God, pray for the nations. When you're gathering together with your family, pray for the nations. When you're gathering with other families, pray for the nations. When we call you to come as a church and pray, come, take up your cross, make sacrifices, show up and pray and pray and pray. Let's call upon the name of our Father together and pray that He would pour His power out upon us that we might effectively go to the nations for the glory of His name. This is how it's always been. And this is how it always must be. Now this leads me more to the more specific implication that I have for us today. Most of you are aware, I've been talking about her all morning already, that we have a missionary that we support in India. I have to be careful because this goes out on the internet. I have to be careful about saying her name and the city she's in, so I'm just going to refer to her abstractly. But she started an orphanage in India about 10 years ago. And last March, you know that we sent two men to see her. Dave Fergus and Pastor Kevin went. And the main point of that going was to strengthen our relationship with her, to support her, to see what God might have for us and her and the orphanage that we, that, that she founded. And through the process of going and praying, we discovered that God would have us be her home church. That's how she thinks about us. That's how she talks about us. We are her home church. That's why she spent two weeks with us over the summer getting to know us better. And what a great privilege that was. And now, over the last few months, some circumstances have come about that are causing four of us to go back to India. And I want to explain to you how this came about, and I want to call you to participate in whatever way the Lord would have for you to participate. So let me just explain what happened. Last July, just before I was getting ready to go on vacation, I received an email from a guy named Pratap John Navit. I don't know what this word pratap means, but it's a title of some sort. I, some things you still can't Google. I tried to Google it and find out. I don't know what the word means, but I did notice it's a title of some sort. Pratap John Navit is the director of the School of Theology. He's an Indian man, a native Indian, in a city called Allahabad. And he's the director of the School of Theology at Allahabad University there. The president of that university is a believer. And believe it or not, he decided some years ago to start having outreaches on Sunday afternoon. And I know this is going to be hard to believe. In fact, as I've told this story over the years, I keep reducing the numbers, not on purpose, but on accident, because I have a hard time believing it. But I went and looked at something I wrote about this ministry and realized this is the real number. On those Sunday afternoon outreaches, they are seeing upwards of 95,000 people showing up to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? One time, I saw that many people gathered in one place. I was at the L.A. Coliseum for a Promise Keepers event. There were 90,000 people there. I cannot imagine Sunday after Sunday, that many people showing up to hear the Gospel, most of whom are Hindus, by the way. So what's happening is, 
They're preaching the gospel and people are coming to Christ. Praise God. They're coming to Christ. But there's no shepherds. There are no shepherds. So the people go home and, and they don't know how to walk in Christ. They just don't know how. So six or seven years ago, the university started this school of theology as a way to train up shepherds, to, to, to shepherd all of these sheep that are coming to Christ. And about two, two and a half years ago, this man, Pratap John Navi, showed up at Bethlehem. I was there at a pastor's meeting with the staff pastors at Bethlehem, and he came in and he gave us a presentation about all of this. And I was very moved, not only by the ministry, but by the man. This is a man of God filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I went home and I wrote a blog about him. And I just called anyone who read my blog, please just pray for him. Pray for him. Pray for him. Now last July, his daughter is sitting over there in Allahabad, India. She's bored. She's poking around on the internet. She decides to search for her dad's name. So she Googles her dad's name. I'm assuming it was Google. And up pops my blog. And so she clicks on it, reads my blog, decides that she should read it to her family. She reads the blog to her family. And Pratap Navid is moved by what I wrote. And he writes me an email now last July and says, Please, Pastor Charlie, would you pray about coming over here to India and just exploring what the Lord might do between our churches, between our ministries? Well, I get requests like that from time to time just because we're related to Bethlehem and because we're on the Internet. Sometimes I don't know how people find us. But I've gotten requests from the Philippines, South America, Africa, all over the place. Would you please come? Would you please come? And often I don't feel compelled to follow up because we're focused in India. And I want to give our missionary there everything that we have to give her. But with this particular one, I, I looked at this and the Lord just stirred in me to say, please, you must consider this more deeply. You must. And by the way, one other piece is that this university is, generally speaking, in the same sector of India where our missionary is. That's a big deal. So I went out on my bike and I prayed. My bike is like a sanctuary for me. And so I rode and I prayed and I prayed. And to make a short story even shorter, the Lord just confirmed in my heart that we should follow up and think about this. So the moment I got home, I forwarded that note that he had written me to about five or six people who've really been involved with us in India. And I just asked him, please pray while I go on vacation. I had two weeks of vacation, one week of riding leave, and I said, when I get back from those three weeks, we'll talk about it and just see what the Lord might have us do. And by the time I got back, it had already been confirmed in everybody's heart that indeed we should go. We should go to explore the opportunity here. We should go to support our missionary who is already there. And so as we talked about who should go, it pretty much pretty quickly came about that John Anderson and I would be the two to go over there this time. But if I remember right, John and Peg, it was as you guys talked about this, you began to think maybe it would be a good idea for Peg and another woman to go as well. Because if just John and I go, we'd have to spend about three days with our missionary and then leave her and go spend three days with Pratap Navit over here. And Peg thought that it would be good for us to spend the whole time with her there. Peg thought that it would be good for us to really support her, really invest in her. And so we decided to bring John, myself... Peg, and then as we prayed about it, Sarah Doss's name was the one that rose to the top of the list. And so as it is set right now, 
from January 17 to 27, John, myself, Peg, and Sarah Dosh will be going over to India, Lord willing, where we will spend about 10 days strengthening our missionary and also exploring this other opportunity. Now, thanks be to God and to the graciousness of the Anderson family, we were able to secure all four tickets for just a little bit over $2,000. Can you imagine that? We're flying four people to India for right around $2,200. We have other flights we have to take in-country. We have other travel. We have other resources. We have other needs. So we do want to ask you, if you feel moved by the Holy Spirit, and I do mean it that way, if you feel moved by the Spirit, please give. You can just make a check out to the church and make sure we know it's for India and all that money will go to India. Also, we are asking for resources to be given. Peg put a great list out on the table out there that is detailing all of the things that our missionary asked for, and we'd just like for the whole church to gather together and read over that prayerfully and decide which items your family will want to give to the trip, and then we'll bring all of that over there to her. There are some items, by the way, that we don't need a lot of, and so if you decide, for instance, to purchase the few Bibles that she needs... Please let us know about that so that we don't end up with 20 Bibles because she doesn't need 20 Bibles. But with a lot of that other stuff, it doesn't matter how much we get. We'll, we'll bring it all over there. Another thing that I would love to see, the Prange family had to be in uh, Nebraska this morning, but they're the ones who superintend our writing of letters to Alex in India. And so I would love us to maybe all of us who have adopted those children into our prayer lives and into our families... I'd love to see each of us make something for our kids so that we could send that over to them as well. We need a lot of things. We need money. We need resources. We need blessings to those kids. And you know what we need above all of it? Is we need prayer. We are going to India to explore a possibility with one ministry that's causing us to need to discern the will of God. You cannot buy discernment of the will of God. That only comes by prayer. Amen? And so we must pray. Next Sunday evening at 6.30, we're going to gather at our home and pray for this missionary and pray for this trip. And we'd love to see as many of you who can possibly come to come. I know everyone is not able to come and I understand that. Please feel at peace if you cannot come. But if you're able, we would love to see our house filled with people down on our knees, crying out to God for resources and mostly for power to accomplish His will in India. And then the next month we're going to pray again. The next month we'll gather to pray again. And then, Lord willing, we will return about January 27th. And that next Sunday, which is the 31st, I plan to bring a message on the trip. And that afternoon we will gather to pray again. Because... The path to power for missions comes by prayer. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by fundraising. It's not by resource raising. It's not by planning. It's not by leadership development. It comes by prayer. As the people of God go before God and ask Him, Father, please pour Your power out upon us. We are not sufficient for what You have called us to do, so please pour Your power out upon us. That's how it's always worked, and that's how it will work in this instance as well. I want to close just by giving thanks to God and saying publicly how grateful I am to Him that He caused this particular sermon to be preached at this particular moment because I feel like what He's doing is not only enlightening our minds with truth from the Word, but He's giving us a practical chance to practice what I just preached. He doesn't want us to be a theoretical church. 
He wants us to walk in the things of the Spirit. And so now He has said to us clearly, there is a deep link between prayer and missions, and now He has called all of us clearly to pray. Pray, pray, pray. You can pray in general ways, but now you have a specific way to pray as well. Pray for the will of God to be accomplished through glory of Christ in India, for the glory of His name. Let's pray. Our God and Father, I thank You so much. The One who poured Himself out upon the church at Pentecost, the One who poured Himself out upon the believers again in Acts 4, the One who is has been pouring Himself out on believers through all of Christian history as they've cried out to You. You are the same One who will pour Yourself out upon us now as we go. There is no difference between the Holy Spirit received at Pentecost and the Holy Spirit that will be received here in Elk River this fall as we call out upon Your name. And I want to give You thanks and praise for that. Oh, Father, thank You for being faithful to call us and gracious and merciful to call us into Your work. And now I pray that You would simply give us the power for the work that You have called us to do. We have nothing, Father. We only have five loaves and two fishes, and we are absolutely weak people. But You are the great, gracious God. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. You have everything that we need for life and godliness. And so we cry out to You. We call out to You. And we ask You to provide for our needs. In the great and gracious name of Jesus, and for the glory of Your name we pray. Amen.